welcome to C3 Belconnen. We hope you enjoy our latest Sunday message. looking forward to bringing to you this third installment in our series on Ephesians, our new normal series, all about this brand new life, this incredible calling of following Jesus Christ. And as we've been sharing together, it's not about applying Jesus to our lives, about uh, allowing him to affect portions uh, of who we are and how we behave towards others. But in fact, understanding we are brand new creations because of what Christ has done for us. And this, this book of Ephesians is an incredible walkthrough of this life, of the promises of God for us, of his work and his empowerment to live for his glory. And so we're looking at, at chapter 3 of Ephesians uh, here today. Hey, we've covered a lot of ground in the past few weeks uh, already. And there's been these key themes and unity, togetherness has been one of them. We are united in Christ and uh, we are united with Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, there is no longer separation between God and man. But also uh, because of what Jesus has done, there are no barriers. There should be nothing separating us and others. We are brought together in Christ. That was the power and the message uh, of Ephesians chapter 2 there. God is making a brand new people by bringing us uh, all together. And what we've seen in these chapters often is a bit of a pattern that, that Paul is using as he writes um, uh, to the church and the churches. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, we have this outpouring of praise followed by a prayer for spiritual empowerment. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see this incredible reminder uh, of, of the gospel, of the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, not because of we have done anything right, but for good works. And then Paul launches into this incredible picture and encouragement to live as God's brand new people. So if we go to chapter 3, are we going to see the same sort of thing? Well, yes, we are actually. From verse 14 through uh, to verse 21, we have this, this, this prayer for spiritual growth, this incredible empowering prayer uh, from Paul, just like we had in Ephesians chapter 1. And it is preceded uh, by this amazing outpouring, this this almost musing and wondering and, uh, and marveling, I guess, about the wisdom and scope of God's plan that you and I are a part of. And, and what we'll discover as we have a look at this is that Ephesians 3, especially the end, this prayer for spiritual growth, is, is like a hinge that this book pivots on. Is it, we find in these first three chapters incredible descriptions and encouragement uh, about what it is that God has done in us. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 get deeply practical and they are a call, therefore, to walk out this. Because of what God has done, how about we begin to walk this out? It's from this foundation that is laid that we go on to live this brand new normal sort of life. <clears throat> so what is this foundation? Well, today I want to share with you the idea that it is our identity in Jesus Christ. We have a brand new identity. We talked about new life through what God has done, a new people, a new community that God is shaping up. And we have this brand new identity in Jesus Christ. You know, we uh, had dedications uh, in our Belconnen services a couple of weeks ago. And we talked at that time about how it is that we are defined. If we were to ask the big question of us, who am I? What are all the ways that we can define that? 
We can be defined uh, by the clothing that we wear, uh, by where we come from, by culture, by our employment, by our education, by all sorts of different things. And we, we learned that God has defined who we are in himself. Now here today, we're looking at another idea about our identity and what God has shown us in this passage about how our identity is secured and made brand new in Jesus Christ. But here's a question for you today. What's in a name? How about I just mention a few names for you right now and see the kind of thoughts that spring to mind. I could say Murdoch. I could say, here's one, Trump. I could say Packer. Here's a, here's a great one. I could say Kardashian. Now, immediately, just because of those surnames, all sorts of thoughts and images are popping into mind about who the people are who are attached to that name. We unconsciously are forming value judgments and making all sorts of assumptions about these people just because of a name. A name is an incredibly powerful thing. A name is, a name is an incredibly powerful identifying factor. And, and there is an incredible uh, statement here in the beginning of this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Uh, it is an incredible statement here and declaration about our identity as part of God's family, ultimately as those who carry his name. Uh, different versions of this scripture say things like this. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Another version of that says, I fall to my knees and, and pray to the Father from whom everything in heaven and on earth derives its name. Our name as followers of Jesus Christ, our identity is secured in who God is and what he has done for us. And so I want to come back a little bit more to understanding and walking out this identity. But hey, let's look at where we start uh, this chapter off. In fact, if you look at the language, it starts like this in the New Living Translation. When I think of all of this, another translation uh, says something like this, for this reason. So we realize very quickly that chapter three and, and really in the original language, it was just one uh, long parchment. The chapters and verses were put in later. So this thought could be read together as we finish chapter two with this celebration of our unity in Christ and what God is doing and putting, fitting us into as he's building this new spiritual home amongst his people. Directly from that thought, Paul launches into this next chapter or these next statements. And he says, when I think of all of this, so we can read that as when I think of all that God has done by uniting us in Jesus, by bringing us together, by breaking down the barriers, by inviting us into what he's doing. When I think of all this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles. And then there's a dot, 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 or a dash probably in your Bibles. And then he kind of goes off on this tangent. Now, it's not a tangent in that it is unnecessary, but it be, sort of fits in this reminder here, a bit of extra information. What's fascinating is that probably the version you're looking at, if you were to look at the very start of verse 1 in this chapter and the very start of verse 14, it's quite likely that they start with the very same phrase. So in the New Living Translation, it says, when I think of all of this, right, in, in verse 1, and then in verse 14, it starts exactly like this, when I think of all of this. So Paul is picking up his train of thought again. So ultimately, what he is doing, is he's, he's given us the picture in Ephesians chapter 2 of us being brought together in what Jesus Christ has done. And he says, when I think of all of this, it, it just makes him want to pray that we would really know, that we would really experience what it means 
to be united in Jesus Christ. And he has this incredible prayer that we'll come to in a moment. And so we sort of have this little in-between part here as Paul kind of goes off on a tangent. But ultimately what he what he does is he just marvels again at God's wisdom. It's a little bit like the way chapter 1 started as he just extols the glory and the virtues of God and then follows that up with a prayer of empowerment and encouragement. He almost gets lost in these thoughts about God's wisdom and power. And he's astonished. All of this is about his astonishment at what God has done in bringing us all together. We cannot lose sight of that. This whole book is about the unity and the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to read through uh, all of verses 1 through to 13 uh, there together today. But hey, as we've been saying each week, there's a little bit of homework. But what you'll discover there is Paul talking a little bit about his own part to play and how he's had this plan of God revealed to him. And he goes on to say, and we'll cover this bit fairly quickly, but this is the plan that we have been brought together as equal uh, equal inheritance, equal uh, children in God's body, uh, enjoying the promises and the blessing of belonging to uh, Jesus Christ. I want to hone in on verse 10 here. Because he, he ultimately said the climax and the crux of this plan is the showing, the manifestation of God's wisdom through the church. This is how it reads in verse 10 of the New Living Translation. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, if you're in Gagalan, uh, listen to this right now, look around the room. This is God's plan. If you're sharing this time with some other people or you know what it is like to be in any of our service, this is God's plan. The church, the gathered, present, dynamic community, the body of believers, this is his plan. This is how God is showing himself and declaring his glory. It says even to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places, even angels in heaven are in awe of what God has done in bringing us together. Can there be any bigger picture of how remarkable and how transformative it is that Christ has broken down the barriers and brought us all together. Isn't that an incredible thought that in our new relationship uh, with God, uh, we have a new relationship with each other. It's in verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So he he says, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honored. He's continuing to lift up the significance, the importance and the power of gathering together as the body of Christ, as God's people. I love that thought that God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display the wisdom of his plan in all its rich variety. Isn't that incredible? He wants to use us and our unity and what he's doing in our midst to to revolutionize the world, to show his love and his grace to a lost and a dying world. Then this incredible prayer issues forth from this place, uh, this place of wonder and awe, as Paul talks literally of falling to his knees in amazement. I mean, he's, he really has just kind of become lost in awe and wonder at God. It's like he started to make, so because of this, uh, uh, that I've got to share this, oh, but, but it's so incredible. It's so amazing. What God has, like, you really, I want you to understand it. He's, Paints this picture and he says, okay, so back when I think of all this, he comes back to his point. I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. 
I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. There we have echoes of chapter one again, where he talks about every spiritual blessing that we have in in heavenly realms because of what Christ has done for us. These things are established in Jesus. They are out out of reach of anything that could bust them up, break them down, tear them out of our grasp. These things are secured in Jesus Christ. His glorious, unlimited resources will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. What a cool thought that is. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. And here's a a head-bending, vocabulary-twisting sentence here. May May you experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. There's this incredible thought here, and depending on the translation you're reading, that we would understand God's love that is too great to be fully understood. Isn't that a fascinating thought? How can we understand something that is so great? You know, you can experience things that you don't necessarily understand. I know a little bit, but not a whole lot about the way a plane stays in the air. But I can get on that thing and be up in the air. I can experience what it is doing, even though I don't fully understand it. You know, I find sometimes we we get so rational that we miss what God is doing. We forget to allow ourselves to experience God even in ways that we don't fully understand. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the news, is that we'll never fully comprehend God on this earth. He's too big for our tiny brains. Uh, we can't get our heads around eternity, about, around infinite things. We, we can't fully get our head around it. We, it's so good to understand and to grow in our knowledge of God, but here's a God who deeply wants to be experienced. And I love this prayer. He may experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What a powerful statement there. Again, that he, the point of all of this is to give him glory and, he, and God is going to receive glory Right there through his church. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God gets glory through what Jesus Christ has done, making us right with him and us living that out in relationship with one another. He is glorified as a result. That's his purpose. Let's have a little look at this prayer, though, because we're talking today about this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. This prayer that launches out of the amazement and the awe that Paul is standing in as he thinks about what it is that God has done. And he sums it all up in in this one pivotal thought in the middle here, in this one word, and that word is love. God is love. His love changes everything. You are loved. I'm just going to let that sink in. And I'm going to say it again. You are loved. And this changes everything. Maybe you live in a home or grew up in one or in relationship that affirms that to you all the time, that you are loved. Way too many people 
question that, wonder about it. Don't have people saying that. Maybe you've never had anybody say that to them. You know, uh, you, you don't have to look far to see what psychology has to say about the significance of knowing that we are loved. There are you know, studies, famous studies from long ago showing that even babies, if, if not uh, provided with physical touch in the early developmental months of their lives, grow up with significant long-lasting effects because they did not feel and experience that sense of love and connection with other people. Love is, is a foundational aspect. In fact, it is a core aspect to our identity. And I want to just speak about that for a couple of minutes here today. See, you have a brand new identity as a beloved child of the Most High God. This is not to lead to a life of entitlement, but a life of living from this place. Living out of love as opposed to living for love are radically different things. You'll discover all the time people who are living for love, living for the approval or the affection of others. It will cause people to do the noblest of things, but also cause them to do the craziest of things. There are people so desperate for love that they're doing all of the wrong things. And sometimes we find ourselves caught up looking for something and going about it in totally the wrong way. This is such a foundational need in our lives that it drives people to do the, the most unimaginable things and the most impressive things as well. Our deep desire and need to know that we are loved. Uh, I, I, I so appreciate the reminder here from Paul that this is where it all comes from. There are some big concepts in Ephesians here, some high sounding, there's cosmic concepts, there's Trinitarian concepts of God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There's encouragements and empowerments for us that touches all levels of our lives. But I love the fact that he's saying right at the heart of all of this is love. Right at the heart of all of this is to know that you are loved and to live from that place. That is ultimately the core of living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. There, there is a, an appeal to, to live out of the identity and the provision that flows from this. His greatest work in us is love. This is a bit of a journey that we go on in some of these verses uh, to this, uh, around this knowledge and experience of God's love. It's not enough just to know about love. It's not enough just to be able to define it or maybe occasionally identify it to speak about it. We must experience and know this love. What does it mean that we are loved? Well, that changes the foundation that we live from. If you and I are living out of a place of acceptance and value, instead of living for acceptance and value, it changes everything. You know, there is a, a furry black creature about the height of my knees in our house that is a dog. And a dog is one of the purest expressions and recipients of love. And, and this dog just knows that it is loved. It is deep, a deeply confident, deeply secure animal. And out of knowing that, that, that she is loved, this dog is able to give love. There's nothing, I think, simpler and pure than the love of, of a dog that, that is just this faithful companion that just knows and expects and thinks that you totally love it without any condition and it's quite happy to put its entire being in your hands and live this incredibly contented life because it knows that it is loved. You know, if we know that we are loved, I've got this incredible security. I'm, instead of living out of insecurity, feeling like I've got to compete with you, I live out of a deep confidence and sense of security because I know my value comes from God. It is so empowering to know that we are loved because I actually have something to give. 
Instead of being out there trying to get all I can, trying to receive love and get value and find all these things that help me understand my identity, my identity is secure. I am loved. Therefore, I'm not threatened by you. I can love you. And it, it doesn't even affect me then w- w- the way you react to that. I'm not loving in the hope that you love back. I mean, that would be great. It would be good for both of us. It would help this whole picture come together. But I'm loving because I am loved, not because I need that love in return from you. Let's, let's read it. these verses from the, the Passion Translation. I love the thought of this because it talks about the kind of love that we have here. How high, how deep, how wide and how long. It says, you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate, how far-reaching this love is, how enduring this love is, and how inclusive this love is. What a cool thought there. This love is deeply intimate and it is far-reaching. It is enduring and it is also inclusive. What a a picture of this love, not just an emotional bond or connection, not just love the way I love certain flavor of ice cream, but a love that is intimate and far reaching and enduring and inclusive and all covering. You know, being rooted and established in love, I read read a great thought on this this week, means always taking our bearing from there. Don't let performance or fear or confidence or convenience be the place you draw from, always return to love. The unfailing love, the steadfast love, the redeeming love, the everlasting love of Jesus. It's not that he simply did something religious or created a process for you. Please hear that. These are not my words. This is something I came across this week, but I love the way it is. It's not that he simply did something religious or created a process for you. He did not just clean the slate and leave you on your own. His love is so great that we can never be separated from it. This is what Romans 8 talks about. Whether it is enemies within or without, our own conscience or our accusers, there is nothing which can separate us from the love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus not only extended love towards us, but he applies it to us and argues for us from that place of love. This should radically change the way that we live out. No wonder this is the hinge, the pivot point of this entire book as we move now into the way that we're called to live out this incredible life. We are called to live from love. So when you're tempted to compare or to compete, to dismiss others, to live out of fear or worry, to doubt, to stress, don't know that you are loved. Now, the greatest thing about knowing that you are loved, it means that you can love. You're not worried about it running out. You're not worried about love leaking out. It is an overwhelming, overflowing supply. It's from his glorious, unlimited resources that God will empower you. We read in that verse there. And here's the key. You are loved. God first loved you. 1 John chapter 4 says it like this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he first loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that very much, we surely ought to love each other. This is real love, not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know, my prayer above all is that you would know this love for real. Maybe today in a real and a fresh way. Maybe you needed to be reminded that you're not just doing things for God and he didn't just do a few things for you. But at the core of all of this is your deep and abiding experience of his love. That's how Jesus described it to his disciples. Remain in my love, he said. Camp out, hang out, get familiar with, get comfortable in God's love. It is disarming. Sometimes it is a little bit uncomfortable to know that we're loved despite all that we have done and, and, uh, and what we feel about who we are, but you are loved. We are deeply loved so that we can deeply love. Maybe you're hearing for the first time about God's love for you. His love for you means that you can love him. Maybe you've been trying to work your way up to an ability to love God. Maybe you're trying to work your way up to an ability to love others. You can only do that if you know that you are loved. You can love because you are loved. This is your brand new identity in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, thank you so much. You're moving in this place right now, wherever we are gathered, hearing this message of your great love, your great kindness towards us, shown in Jesus Christ. I'm praying for every person listening to this right now, that they would know and experience your love, maybe for the very first time today, or maybe come into a real fresh and a live experience of this love again. Amen. Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, visit www.c3belconnen.org.au.